Oh, hello, welcome. I'll be with you just in a minute. Okay, thanks. Have you ever seen this girl before? No, never. Must be a tourist or something. My bet's on a caramel macchiato. I'll bet on a loaded tea. So, uh, here's our drink menu. Let me know if you have any questions. Our specials for the day are an anaerobic process Colombian and a honey process guant. Both are available as a pour-over. Benedict here. Hello. Would be happy to make you a pour-over. Okay, so I see you have a light roast, a medium roast, and a dark roast all on drip. And cold brew, nitro, as well as over ice. Wow, so many options. But um, I'm looking here and I'm not seeing a decaf. Do you guys have a decaf? I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> a what? For for a second there, I thought you said decaf. Um, yeah, I did say decaf. Do you have a decaf? Well, how do you spell that? Is that like a origin or a processing method? Is, is that French? No, decaf. Like decaffeinated coffee decaf. <laughs> oh, decaf. <laughs> no, um, we don't sell that trash here. They have some as instant decaf at the grocery store down the street, and... That's what I'd recommend. Do you need it for your digestive system? Because decaf still makes you poop as much as regular coffee, you know. Are you asking me about the schedule of my bowel movements? I don't even know you. Well, (laughs) no, I was asking you about your poop, not bowel movements, poop. Okay, I'm not telling you about my poop, but let me tell you about decaf. I drink coffee for the taste of coffee. I don't need the caffeine right now. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I just want good quality coffee without the caffeine to keep me up tonight. Decaf can be good, you know. (laughs) No, uh, I actually don't know. I don't think it can be good. Well, have you ever even made it? Uh, well, if, that's a big if, I were to drink it, I'd get it pre-ground at the grocery store and run it through the cheapest coffee maker I could find and let it burn to a sludge on the hot plate. I second that. Okay, well, how would you make that special pour-over you were talking about from Guatemala? Ooh, ooh, let me tell her. Okay, so, we grind the beans in our grinder. We have dedicated to pour-overs. It's dialed in, of course. And I'd use only filtered water, because anything else is trash. I'd let you smell the grounds while I explain the tasting notes, and let the water get to the perfect temperature. Then... I'd make the pour-over while watching out of the corner of my eye to see how impressed you are at my pouring skills. But you wouldn't do that for decaf? No. No. Are you crazy? (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay, so then how do you know if decaf can actually taste good, can taste like coffee, like good coffee, simply without caffeine in it? We still have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. No. Decaf is terrible. It tastes like the bubble gum. You get stuck on the bottom of your okay, shoe. Okay. I don't even know why I'm still here. You guys are impossible. So you don't have a decaf. Well, how do you spell that? Is that an origin or... Never heard of it. Nope. Never heard of it. <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> glad she didn't stay. She had no clue about coffee. No clue. Can't believe she used that word in here. Hey, I dare you to set that as our Wi-Fi password. What? Are you crazy? Trying to get us fired? I don't even know how to spell it. Is it French? From Mobile Coffee, this is Coffee 101, a show about coffee. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and every week... My coffee friends and I are bringing you the absolute best coffee education you can find out there in the coffee verse. If you're new to the show, I recommend starting with the first episode. Coffee 101 is designed to build your coffee knowledge in a chronological order from the ground up. It starts with the basic questions like, what is coffee and why do we like coffee? We're working our way through season one, which takes us on coffee's journey from seed to shelf. Don't follow this podcast unless you're prepared to become an expert at coffee. On the show today, we're talking a little history and background about decaf and going through the different ways coffee is decaffeinated. We have a phenomenal interview partway through the show where I ring up my friend Erin Reed with Swiss Water, and she breaks down that 
decaf process for us. And I'm joined in the studio today by my very good coffee friend, Katie Thomas. Good morning. Maybe it's not morning where you live. Maybe it's um, the afternoon or the evening. So whatever works for you. Good fill in the blank. Yeah, good fill in the blank to you. Because, you know, even like they could listen to it anytime. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, they could drink decaf. Yeah, I was about to say I haven't had my coffee for today. But maybe I just had decaf. Maybe. If I wanted to, because it doesn't have caffeine in it. Ah, hence, hence the name. Hence the name. Decaf. Decaf. So let's talk a little bit about the background of decaf, and then we're going to spend a lot of the episode today talking about the different ways that it's decaffeinated. And for the 101ers out there, you'll have to listen to the next episode, which is why you should drink decaf. And you're thinking, heck no, I'm not drinking decaf. Yeah, I've always wondered how that works, how some coffee is has caffeine in it, obviously, but then how other coffee doesn't, because I feel like that's a very big difference yep. in, like, the chemical kind of makeup of it, because, like, one gives you energy, and one Does just not. doesn't. Yeah, so, so you're I like... I think that's pretty interesting. So so people out there are like, then, um, why would we drink it if it doesn't give us energy? I agree. I mean, some people just really like how it tastes. Yeah. I get that. I drink it for the caffeine, personally. Gotcha. But, but you didn't in our little, you know, oh, intro yes. in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I obviously didn't have my caffeine that morning. I was pretty emotionless, but um No, you did good. It was well, good. We had a we had a good time making that little intro for y'all. So um caffeine was first extracted from coffee beans around eighteen twenty. There was this hip poet named Goth. Yep, named Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E. And he heard about this guy who was good at extracting stuff from things. And for whatever reason, he asked Friedlab Ferdinand Runge, R-U-N-G-E, to extract caffeine from coffee beans. And he did. Interesting. Yep. And so that was really it as far as the first technical extraction of caffeine from coffee beans and then you fast forward to 1903 when um this guy named ludwig roselius r-o-s-e-l-i-u-s roselius and his co-workers um basically invented a way to commercially decaffeinate um coffee he was a german merchant and he actually, the I don't know whether this is true or not, but I've heard it in several areas and read it, um, but I can't officially confirm it. But supposedly he thought that his father had died of drinking too much caffeine, really? I mean too much coffee. And so that was part of his like, you know, thought of, okay, well, let's see if we can figure out how to um, get it out. Another thing. I mean, I guess I get that because... Um, whenever, if I drink energy drinks instead of coffee, the ones with like 200 milligrams of caffeine in it or whatever, it like makes my heart feel weird. Like I feel like, especially if I would drink like two a day, I feel like it would just make my heart explode out of my chest, which is probably not a good thing. So good foreshadowing there, um, towards the end of the show. And I don't want you to volunteer an answer right now, but we're going to talk about how do those energy drinks actually get the caffeine in them but don't say anything even if you know the answer don't say anything well i don't so i'll let you tell me okay so ludwig roselius and we talked about his father um another thing about his past is supposedly he observed a freight of coffee beans that accidentally soaked in seawater and had lost most of the caffeine content um, but had retained their flavor. So those were a couple of things that kind of impacted decaffeinated coffee being born. And in 1906, they patented the process. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today is, first of all, with that background, why do you think people would even drink decaffeinated coffee? 
Um, I mean, I guess because of the flavor of it. Well, well, let's say the flavor is the same. At at best, we'll say the flavor is the same. Oh, it's good for your digestion. I know that. <laughs> Possibly, we'll get into that in the next episode. If oh, that okay. is, if that's actually true, or if that's just an old wives' tale. Oh. Um, but people drink it if they're like really anxious, but they still like the taste of coffee, you know, cause they don't want their like heart to be like, oh, true. like double leaping out of their yeah, chest. Cause I remember when I would have a test and I would drink coffee or something that morning or like a really hard exam yeah. or something like that. I remember like, just like my heart beating so fast and my body shaking. And I knew I wouldn't be that way if I had just skipped the coffee that morning, but right. Um, or if it's close to bedtime for you and you're caffeine sensitive, which I, even though I love coffee and ha- and drink a lot of coffee, I am caffeine sensitive. I'm so. not caffeine sensitive. Like I can drink so much and it won't affect me. Well, I, if it's like after three or four in the afternoon, I can't, I can't do it. Hmm. Like it just makes it where like I can't, um, you know, I can't go to sleep at night. It just keeps me up. So... When does the process of decaffeinating take place? I'm going to let you guess here, and then I'll also tell you. I would guess during the roasting. Okay, so close. So the decaffeination process comes after the green beans are harvested, Mm -hmm. but before it gets to the roaster. Do they soak them or something? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that. There are five different ways that you can decaf beans that at least I could find. And so we're going to talk oh, about that. okay. And you probably know because you've seen uh, the roasting process. Yeah. The decaf beans are a different color. Like they don't have that green color to are them. Are they like goldish? Yeah, like tannish brown. Yeah. Yep, that's okay. right. Yeah, and that's technically part of the decaf process. Um, but they can still... And we'll talk about it in the show today. They can still taste just as as good. Um, one interesting thing is some people ask, okay, can you have a decaffeinated coffee bean like from the get-go? Like, like, like grow a, the coffee bean decaffeinated? Grow, grow it decaffeinated. So in um, Brazil, they are trying to do this, and... They're making a little progress. Um, they even coined the term decafito. De decafito? Decafito? I have no idea, but I like okay. the way you're pronouncing that. D-E-C-A-F-F-I-T-O. Decafito. Um, to describe this type of coffee. And I don't know that there is anything officially in uh, production or that is on some kind of massive scale at this time, but that is a thought that people have been playing with, um, and most recently and most prominently, I would say, Brazil. So that's kind of cool. So yes, it happens before the roasting process. Another thing, you know, we talked about it having that tan look to it. It actually makes it harder to roast because... So like you won't burn them? Well, so we have different points in the roast that we use as markers of where we are. And one of them is what we call color change. Mm -hmm. And after these decaf episodes, we'll get into some of the roasting um, chronologically as we move our way through the actual bean process. Um, But color change is one. And um, then, you know, it, it has this thing called first crack and first crack sometimes can be a little more subtle with a decaf bean. So that's a couple of different um, things that can happen. Here, this is a this is a really cool fact. You know when you're when you're looking at, let's say you go to your you know local breakfast place yeah. or you're going to a gas station, and the decaf coffee has the green. Um, like handle and pour spout to it. You know, you have. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's sitting yeah, on yeah, the hot plate. Now. Yeah. So why do you think specifically it's that orange flavor? Not orange flavor. Oh, why do you like, think? What? Why do you think it's specifically that orange color? I thought you said it was green. No, orange. The handle was green. I thought you said the handle was green. No, orange. Did I make that up? Yeah, you made it up. 
You made it up. <laughs> so listen, orange. Okay, so it has orange. I mean, I might have said green, but go ahead. Anyway, so it's orange. Yeah, why is it orange? The beans are orange. No, so basically, <laughs> basically we talked about the guy Ludwig Roselius, mm-hmm. and ultimately his process of decaffeination uh, grew into a couple of companies. One was called Cafe Hog, H-A-G, mm-hmm. which the longer name was Cafe Hansel. Ak- a German, a German Ak- word. Akin Jesselschaft, whatever. It means coffee trading company. Um, in Europe, and Cafe Sanka, S-A-N-K-A, in France. And Sanka is the oldest established like coffee decaf company that's still around. So when decaf came on the scene, especially in the US, yeah. Completely completely dominated by Sanka, S A N S A N K A Sanka. So I could still like go online and buy it? Oh, for sure. Like literally you could. And it's instant decaf coffee. What color do you think is the predominant color of their branding? I'm going to guess orange. Boom. You got it. And so that's where the orange for the handle and the pour spout of like decaf pots came from. I totally thought it was green. No, it's orange. I'm okay. Okay. I'm just going to trust you. Well, you should. Um, okay, so for taste quality, uh, I want you to realize three things with decaf. For the same roast level, decaf may look a little darker. It may have more oil, and you have to be aware of that if you're the roaster, uh, but also obviously the consumer. And part of it getting a bad rap is simply that it isn't used decaf is not used as much as regular coffee so it may sit on the shelf longer which means that it's not going to taste as good so that's another thing you got to watch out for is the the roast date for Mm. decaf and here's another really cool thing that actually i didn't know until talking to some people uh, in the decaf industry uh, for this episode is it's harder to extract. Okay, I'm going to go deep on y'all here, okay? Are you ready, Katie? Absolutely. Okay. It's harder to extract coffee from decaffeinated beans for whatever reason. So be aware of that when you're brewing it. It means you may need to use more grounds to get the same taste with all other things being equal. This is likely why most people think of decaf as, quote, tasting weak because they need to change their brew ratio because it's not extracting as much. And you do it by taste because, and here's where we're getting even deeper into the weeds, you can't necessarily rely on an optimal TDS window, total dissolved solids window, because part of your dissolved solids is caffeine. So when you take that out of the equation, it throws your standard range off. So what that means is, so total dissolved solids is like there's a window, if you were to use this fancy thing called a refractometer, to see when your um, coffee is what we call dialed in. That goes out the window for decaf. Uh, Part of the reason is because it doesn't extract as well, so you have to use more coffee and because part of that measurement includes caffeine, which is a dissolved solid, in that standard window. So it, shift, it shifts your window. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, or hopefully it does, if not hopefully to a lot of the one-on-oneers out there. But you, that's why you have to use probably taste as your standard. Does that make sense? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> I will... I, will, I am okay with a kind of at this point because it is it is complicated. Okay, so now we've talked about the background of decaf and we've given some little pearls. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about the five different ways that you can actually decaf coffee. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's the direct solvent process and 
I know y'all's eyes are glazing over, but y'all stay with me here. Direct solvent process, indirect solvent process, water process, supercritical CO2 process, and the triglyceride process. I've heard of triglyceride. You have? Chemistry one. There you go. Yes. There you go. You have triglycerides in your body. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. Okay. So we are going to blaze through some of these, um, but try to give them their justice because I want to talk mainly about the water process, but we're definitely going to talk about all of them because I think they all do have um, a part as far as decaf and just understanding the different ways that, that it can be done. So direct solvent is basically steaming the beans and then using some kind of chemical, which everybody doesn't like that word chemical, as a solvent to remove the caffeine. Um, Those solvents can be like methylene chloride, ethyl acetate, dichloromethane. Uh, Originally, when decaf was born, they used benzene, which they don't use anymore because it's, you know, bad. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to explain the indirect as well because... um, I want to kind of, they, they kind of go a little bit hand in hand, but we'll flesh them out a little more as we're talking here. So with the direct method, you're basically steaming the coffee beans, which makes them expand so that stuff can, for lack of a better way to say it, stuff can get into the bean and stuff from inside the bean can get out. And then you're using a solvent, like we said, um, methylene chloride or ethyl acetate or some of the others to actually extract out the caffeine. And then you can take that solvent that has the caffeine attached to it and you can separate those two things out. Um, and then you can still then go back and reuse the solvent. And then you've, you've taken the caffeine out of the bean. And with the indirect solvent method, the only difference is instead of doing this directly with the bean, you're getting the caffeine out of the bean into the water that you're using, that you're soaking them in, and then you're taking the beans away. And you're using that solvent like ethyl acetate or methylene chloride to pull the caffeine out of the water. Yeah. So does that make sense, the difference yeah. in direct and indirect? And they both of them get a bad rap because they have bad names, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, methylene chloride or right. ethyl acetate. I feel like people just get scared of chemicals. They do. And so a couple of things to say about that. For example, ethyl acetate is a natural product that's found in, for example, sugarcane. Mm-hmm. But... It's hard to like naturally pull it out to the to the amount that is needed, so it is engineered or produced, you know, independent of that. Although technically, it's the it's the same thing. Um, with methylene chloride, you can, and and I think this is important, is the FDA says that in your end product you can have ten parts per million of methylene chloride which is considered a toxin in the end for most processes that use decaffeination that use methylene chloride you have anywhere from undetectable to at best four parts per million yeah now here again we're starting to get thick in the weeds but i want you to follow me here are you ready are you sure you're nodding your head but you have to say yes yes okay all right so do you know off the top of your head what the boiling point for water is? I should. I feel like this is something that I get tested on every year, and I don't know. Okay, so the boiling point is 212. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, yes, because we're American, and we use the odd system called Fahrenheit. And the boiling point for methylene chloride is 180 degrees. So a couple of things here. That... Less than 10 parts per million, which is met, is before you get to the roasting process. In the roasting process, you roast up to 420 degrees. 
So it probably all evaporates then. If for some crazy, crazy reason it doesn't evaporate then, then when you actually brew your coffee, grind it and brew it, usually you're using a temperature between 195 and 205. Yeah. Again, above that evaporation point for methylene chloride of 180. So, yes, it has a terrible name, and yes, it is a chemical, but does it actually come out in the final product uh, in any significant amount? Probably not. So that's the biggest thing that I want everybody to remember about that. Coming up, Katie and I pick Aaron Reed's brain about the Swiss water process. And we talk about what happens to all that caffeine that's removed in the decaffeinating process. Stick with us. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101. I know what you're thinking. Man, this show is awesome. I'm learning so much about coffee. What could I do to support Coffee 101? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked. There are three things that would really help us out. One, give Coffee 101 a rating. It helps grow our vision to educate everyone on the planet about what coffee can be. Two, tell your friends about the show. They're coffee curious just like you, so why not share the love? And three, go to humblecoffee.com and buy a bag of coffee. That's really the only way we get direct support for the show, through Humble Coffee's growth. We're a little biased, but we think you'll love Humble. So, a rating, tell a friend, and buy a bag of coffee. Go ahead. Pause if you need to. We'll wait. Okay, you're back. Great. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, Katie, we've talked about the direct and indirect solvent methods for decaffeinating coffee. Now we're going to talk about the water-processed method and specifically talk about Swiss water process. Do you know anything about Swiss water process? Nope. No? Mm -mm. Nothing? Nothing. Do you think the water comes from Switzerland? I don't think it really matters. It's water. Water matters. You just wait. We're going to have a show dedicated to water, and you're going to see how much water matters in coffee. Okay. Okay. So, well, I tell you what. Listen, I have a great idea. Instead of me telling you about it, I've got a coffee friend named Aaron Reed at Swiss Water, and I think we ought to just cold collar and see if she can explain it what do you think it's a good idea all right let's do it hello Aaron. this is kenneth with coffee 101 how are you kenneth hello good to hear from you i'm great thanks how are you i'm good um hope i caught you at a good time katie and i were having this discussion this civilized discussion on decaf coffees. And I thought, what better way to learn about Swiss water process than to call my friend Aaron at Swiss water. Perfect. I always love to talk about decaf. It's always (laughs) a good time for that. Yeah. Do you, do y'all just out of curiosity there um, at the company, do y'all drink a lot of decaf or do you slip in some caffeine or some caffeinated coffee and don't tell anybody? You know what? We, we drink both. Actually, kind of the largest uh, consumer base of decaf drinkers are what we call dual drinkers. So they drink both decaf and regular. And that, that fits us too. We're a, a group of coffee lovers. yeah, And so we love it in all of its forms. And what we love about decaf is you can drink it all day long. So it keeps you in coffee. Yeah, that's awesome. So I've never heard dual drinker, but I love the term. That seems like something that should be on a t-shirt somewhere. I like that idea. <laughs> well, listen, a um, couple of things with Swiss water. First, um, could you run us through kind of just a little bit of the history of, of the company and, um, and, and then I do want to get into the nuts and bolts of uh, 
like how the Swiss water process for decaffeinating coffee actually works. The Swiss water process or water processing as a process was conceived in the early 1900s. But it wasn't until the 1980s when a U.S. government study on methylene chloride in decaffeinated coffee came out and flagged that it was potentially a carcinogen. Mm -hmm. Um, And up until that point, methylene chloride was the predominant decaffeination process. At that time, some companies were trying to figure out ways to move away from methylene chloride due to the concerns. And some moved to ethyl acetate, which had been developed, but not as prevalent in decaffeination. Um, And others were really looking to figure out, hey, what are some chemical-free options that we could create? So um, at the time, there was a European coffee company uh, that had an R&D lab in Switzerland, and they were inspired by the Schaffhausen waterfall there. Mm. And this process and said, hey, you know, we think maybe we can do something with this. And so in that lab, uh, at that time, they went ahead and created a pilot process um, and some prototype decaffeination. And they happened to own a Canadian coffee company um, called Nabob Mm -hmm. that had a roasting plant out in Vancouver on the West Coast of Canada and thought, hey, let's see if we can give this a go. It's, you know, late 1980s, the time that specialty coffee was just coming into prevalence and being and spreading across the U.S. And they thought, hey, that's a a pretty good location. Mm -hmm. So the the plant was therefore built in that area and commercialization happened in 1989. So that was kind of the advent of the Swiss water process. And the name was really, of course, in in tribute to these uh, R&D teams who developed it in Switzerland. So... And one question that I have seen or heard uh, quite a bit is, is there literal Swiss water in the Swiss water process? And the answer is? No. No. Fresh, clean British Columbia water, which is um, very high quality, very pure. Um, So we have a great base to our solvent. Cool. And the facility itself, if I'm not badly mistaken, is certified organic and certified kosher. Yes, the, it's actually the the processing is what's certified organic. But yes, we're also kosher uh, and gotcha. okay. halal. Cool. Well. And, yeah. and again, unless I'm mistaken, you try to remove 99.9% of the caffeine. We you know, yeah. which I've seen some some caffeine or decaf processes um, where you know it goes up to at least ninety percent, um, but that's pretty that's getting on up there as far as removing the the caffeine. It is, yeah. Um, you know, the the U.S. standard is ninety seven percent, and so that is the the legal requirement. Um, but yes, we we try and take it as close to the limit as possible. You can't actually remove one hundred percent of caffeine from coffee, or you just would lose all of the great flavor yeah. components that make coffee good. So, uh, yeah, we're quite proud of both the caffeine removal piece and then the the high quality with which we do it. Right. Gotcha. And. Um... Let's shift gears and talk about the actual process. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and throw out a couple of big words, um, solubility and osmosis. And um, those are, I think, two key factors in the Swiss water process. Um, but I'll just let you kind of jump in, and, and I may have random questions or comments throughout. Great. Sounds good. Uh, Yes, so those are two really key elements. Um, And we actually term it more diffusion these days um, because it's it's more moving from the bean into the the solvent versus the other way around. So you're saying I'm outdated is what you're saying. (laughs) 
we were outdated for a long time too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I think diffusion is kind of the broader catch all. Um, so, you know, if you see our materials, you'll, you'll see that written, but um, they're, they're pretty darn close. Osmosis is a, a subcomponent of diffusion. So gotcha. uh, definitely in the, on the right track. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, the, the start of our decaffeination process is uh, a couple of steps, which actually all decaffeination processes use. There's the pre-cleaning, which gets, in our case, gets rid of some of the silver skin residual and, um, you know, and any kind of debris, stones, things like that, that often show up in bags of coffee. And then everyone goes through a pre-soak process, um, mm -hmm. which is basically, um, you know, getting the beans in some water and expanding the beans cellular structure so that it's ready for caffeine removal. Okay. So then, um, the kind of at the heart of our process is our solvent, which we call green coffee extract. Mm -hmm. And that is something that's created only once at the beginning of um, the construction or commercialization of each of our production lines. And the way that that works is we take um, water, again, this clean, high quality BC water and the green coffee beans and put them together in these tanks and all of the soluble solids from coffee, the green coffee leach out into the water. Mm -hmm. So that includes the amino and chlorogenic acids, the caffeine, um, sucrose, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so what you then have is you have this liquid with um, basically equilibrium across those soluble solids between the green coffee and the water. Mm -hmm. Those solution with um, all of the soluble solids in water is now sent to to our carbon tanks where we have very poor selective carbon. Um, so, you know, carbon traps a lot of different things. It's used very commonly in water filtration. Um, mm -hmm. But the way that our carbon porosity is, is it specifically attracts the caffeine molecule. So basically everything runs through these filters, the caffeine is trapped, and then you have this liquid with all of the soluble solids from the green coffee minus the caffeine. And that is ultimately what our green coffee extract is that we use as our decaffeination medium or solvent uh, for every batch of coffee that we decaffeinate. Yeah, and so uh, for our one oneers out there, a couple things. It just so happens that caffeine as a molecule is bigger than a lot of the other molecules that we'll just call them flavor you know, flavor things that are in the, in your coffee. Uh, and so the way that the carbon is set up specific to Swiss water process is that the pores are big enough to stop those, um, caffeine molecules, but let everything else through. So where Aaron is in talking about the process is you have this they call green coffee ec extract, and it has all of the flavors. We're just going to call them flavors. Are the small molecules that are have come out of the coffee minus the caffeine. So there's no caffeine in this, we'll say liquid or or water or whatever you want to call it. So so then what happens? Okay, so then that is now sent back to these tanks in what we call lean green coffee extract. Uh, so now let's take a batch of beans to be decaffeinated. So they go through those first two steps again of pre-cleaning and pre-soak. Mm -hmm. uh, the coffee is then sent into tanks where the green coffee ex extract is introduced into the bean column. So at this point, you've got green coffee with all of its soluble solids and caffeine mm -hmm. and you've got green coffee extract with all of the green coffee soluble solids and no caffeine right. and so here's where this principle of diffusion kicks in uh, and really only the imbalance across the two is the caffeine so the caffeine then migrates out of um, the bean into the green coffee extract and you know there's a process where the green coffee extract rotates through different tanks um, over uh, a series of time, uh, very specifically co controlled for temperature because you want to have an efficient extraction rate, um, but uh, also minimize the amount of impact you have on the cellular structure of the green coffee bean itself. 
So this process happens until that green coffee is 99.9% caffeine free. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, the green coffee extract is quite saturated with caffeine. So it is then sent back to these same carbon uh, tanks where the uh, fractal geometry of the carbon traps the caffeine molecule. And then uh, the GCE is again sent back to that lean GCE tank to be reused for the next batch of coffee. So it's pretty cool in that it's a it's really a living organism that is reused and replenished yeah. and regenerated over and over and over. And then with the carbon, we basically uh, the the bond is so strong with the caffeine molecule and our carbon that the only way to remove it is through um, a furnace burning it off. Okay. Um, and so we we take that step. And then um, one of the cool things about our carbon is that it also regenerates and um, we're able to reuse it uh, for a long period of time. It does, you know, it does need replenishment and replacement periodically, but in addition to having, you know, a sustainable water-based process, we're pretty, um, proud of the fact that our, our extract is used over and over and then our, our carbon regenerates as well. Yeah. So um, from there, then the green coffee, which is, uh, you know, no longer in the, um, the green coffee extract needs to go to the drying step of the process. And um, we use evaporative dryers, which basically take and convert the, the moisture in the coffee into vapor and gets moved out through steam exhaust. Um, and the drying process is actually also really critical in uh, the decaffeination process, because again, you're trying to minimize the impact of decaffeination on the cellular structure of the bean. Mm -hmm. And so you wanna be very careful um, about both time and temperature throughout the drying process. Um, and so, you know, as you can tell, we've uh, taken steps throughout our process to really ensure high quality every step of the way and trying to make sure that that coffee that comes out on the back end tastes as close to the coffee as it was on the front end. And do y'all just, out of my own curiosity, do y'all there uh, within the company at times have coffees that, you know, you send to a roaster pre-decaf and post-decaf? Um, and, and then like try them or, or do you hear back, you know, as far as those differences or similarities? We actually, in our, uh, in our cupping lab, we cup every single batch of coffee pre and post decaffeination to make sure well, that it cool. is hitting our target standards. Yes. So that's one step that we take. And then, uh, we also do, um, uh, certification that it is 99.9% .9 caffeine free. So, yeah, and and one other thing that I wanted to make sure and, and tell everybody is, if it if it was decaffeinated with the Swiss water process, then you should see that somewhere, um, either on the bag or the details from the the roaster. Ideally, you would. It's uh, it's not something that we require, and right. um, in the U.S., disclosure of decaffeination process isn't a legal requirement. It actually is in Canada, um, where they have to put it on the packaging. But um, certainly, you know, roasters know that the Swiss water process is um, a symbol of quality and, and a badge of prize, pride if that's the process that they're using. And here, I'll restate that. Sure. <laughs> roasters do often communicate Swiss water process as being used for decaffeination because they're proud of the quality and the sustainability of our process. Um, but, you know, if it's not listed what the decaffeination process is, we always encourage uh, consumers to reach out to their roaster and find out and encourage them to use it. Um, we have done lots of research over the years that shows that, you know, when consumers know it's a chemical free process that they prefer it. And that's right. pretty, been pretty consistent at about 63% over the past, um, you know, five years of studies that we've done. So there is value for uh, a coffee brand and a roaster to communicate what decaffeination process they use, especially if it's chemical free. Yeah. And for our one one ers out there, um, Coffee 101 is brought to us by Humble Coffee, and at Humble Coffee, they do have a decaf uh, called Downshift, and it's from Columbia, and 
they always use the Swiss water process as far as that decaf. Um, so usually when when at Humble Coffee they get the bags in, it'll actually have that logo, the big like Swiss water logo on the bag. So, well, cool. Aaron, it was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, Kenneth. I appreciate you reaching out. All right. Well, you stay dual caffeinated or what or a <laughs> A dual drinker. That's right. That's what you called it. Stay a dual <laughs> drinker. Right. We'll do. All right. We'll I'll, ho- I'll holler at you some other time. Take care. See you. Sounds great. Thanks, Kenneth. Bye now. Bye. She had a lot of knowledge about the Swiss water process. Didn't she, she did. Um, so hopefully that sheds a little light on how that process can be beneficial. And it's obviously the most well-known process because Mm -hmm. honestly and rightfully so I think it's the best marketed and fits a lot of people's ideas of um, what they want or what they don't want in their coffee. Technically another type of water process is called mountain water process and it's very similar um, but it's with a company called Descomex based out of Mexico And really, the biggest difference is that technically they use different pure water sources. Mm -hmm. So for Swiss water, they would use the Canadian coastal mountains. And in Mexico, they would use the mountains and glaciers that are in that area um, where they have that plant. So sometimes you'll also see mountain water process, which is another very non-chemical, you know, way to... um, decaf coffee nice so that gets us through three methods and we're going to laser round go through the fourth and fifth or semi laser round so the fourth is the supercritical carbon dioxide method it was developed by this guy named kurt zosel and obviously it uses carbon dioxide that is heated and pressurized to the supercritical point, which sounds really fancy, but it's where the liquid and the gas are kind of mm, kind of one and the same. And um, basically the green coffee beans are steamed and added to a high-pressure vessel. And a mixture of water and carbon dioxide are run through across the green beans at that uh, perfect balance of pressure and temperature and what it does is the caffeine will dissolve into the carbon dioxide and the compounds that add to the flavor of the coffee largely stay in the bean itself and then the caffeine is taken out of the carbon dioxide um, later in the process and then that carbon dioxide is then recirculated back so it's a pretty you know, clean, I would say, method. Um, but again, it doesn't have the marketing. Swiss water ha- and mountain water, to its credit, have good marketing as far as name and stuff like that. This is, um, you know, a pretty decent method. It just, you know, doesn't have a, a nice catchy name. And then the final method is triglyceride process. These beans are soaked in a hot water solution that draws the caffeine to the surface of the bean then those beans are transferred to another container and immersed in coffee oils that were obtained from spent coffee grounds and left to soak in there and what happens is if you give it enough time at a high temperature the triglycerides from the oil remove the caffeine and then same thing like we've seen in all these other processes is then the oil is taken and the caffeine separated out from that and then you can reuse that oil um, for another batch. And that's it. We have gotten through our five different processing methods for decaffeinating. Nice. You made it. You needed I, you needed I, a cup of caffeine caffeinated yeah. coffee though to do it, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really tired. Well, well that's you okay. Can't tell. That's okay because we have gotten to the end of the episode. So you alluded to something at the very beginning, and you talked about energy drinks. Oh, yeah. And 
You said they have caffeine and da 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 da. Is that what it sounds like? Well, that's my impersonation of you. Oh, okay. But yes. Um, so where do they get that caffeine? I have no idea. What have we been talking about this whole time? Decaffeination processes. Okay. And then when you get the caffeine off. That comes from coffee? Ding, ding, ding. Are you serious? Yes. So like the the caffeine that's in energy drinks comes from coffee. Yes. So coffee is the root of all caffeine. Yes. That's and Coca-Cola. What? And Mountain Dew. Celsius? Including, including Baja Blast. Monster? Yes. All of it. Wow. So coffee, I didn't really, coffee. I thought it was a chemical. Coffee like you is just like, like pour it in there and then coffee's, boom. Coffee's like the Godfather. Yeah, pretty much. Like you know everything. I mean, it is the root. Like, I mean, you've had decaffeinated. Um, I mean, there's there's drinks out there that are decaffeinated. You still like the sugar, but a lot of us are drawn to stuff for the caffeine. Yeah, and that's where it comes from. I will say technically though, in the Swiss water process that when they reactivate the charcoal that has captured the caffeine, yeah, that caffeine is burned off. So they actually don't sell theirs, is my understanding, as a mm-hmm. byproduct. But all of these other processes, when they have caffeine, they are optimally using their byproducts to not waste them, um, but to see other places that they can be used, which, you know, it's thoughtful, even if they have a terrible name like indirect solvent methyl yeah. acetate, or I mean methyl chloride, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for what it's worth, there you go. Thanks for listening this week. Special thanks to our own Katie Thomas and Jenny Duncan for helping out with our intro for the episode. Our guest today was Aaron Reed with Swiss Water. You can follow Swiss Water on Instagram or check them out at SwissWater.com. Details in the show notes. For my co-host, Katie Thomas, I'm Kenneth Thomas, and you've been listening to Coffee 101 brought to you by Humble Coffee Co. Leave us a rating, tell your friends about Coffee 101, and buy a bag of Humble Coffee. Listen to the next episode where we'll convince you why you should drink decaf love y'all